the heart has no off flavor, right? You can even take a beef heart, you can blend it, you put it and cut it into cubes and blend it up and you can have any ground meat dish and no one would even know it's an organ meat, except that it has far more nutrients than muscle meat. Right. So why wouldn't you do that? Right. Like as often as you could. So so heart as is many a good place to start. Like if, if someone's to experiment with organ meats, you'd be like, Absolutely. go for heart first. Yeah. And also like, you don't have to go crazy, right? So even if you just have a little bit of liver and, uh, you know, I would definitely want it to be frozen before I blend it, cut it in small pieces, refreeze it for an hour or something. You can blend it and mix it into any ground meat mix. And then anything that's like heavily seasoned, right? So a bolognese or I like to do stuffed poblanos or if you do chilies or things like that, right? Like anything that's flavored, mm -hmm. that's a great place to start. I think that for if you already are having some organ meats or you want to kind of take it to the next level, I think that with preparing liver, as like kind of front and center, a great place to start is just like uh, with like chicken liver tacos, for example, you know, chicken livers are going to be more mild. It's a smaller animal, but uh, you know, you can just cook those in a pan with, you know, whatever taco seasonings you would normally eat, right? If you're going to use cumin, oregano, peppers, like things like that, then that has some really nice seasonings and you can do all the things on tacos, right? You can do like some sour cream and avocado and like radishes and cilantro, all the, all those seasonings that make, that basically make up for a beautiful meal, right? Like when you have like, just liver or something, it can be really overwhelming, but that's like part of a beautiful package. Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move and take care of your body your way. Not the diet book's way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits, so I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Hello and welcome back to Your Body's Way. I am Tamara Walpole. Today I'm going to be speaking with the incredible Janine Farzin. She is such a delight and you'll see exactly what I mean when the episode gets going. She is so, so passionate about nothing other than offal. She has a fabulous website called Offally Good Cooking and she hosts workshops and she's very active on her Instagram. Um, and she gives lots and lots of recipes on her website, um, all about offal, the different recipes you can use, the different cuts of offal that you can use, heart, liver, brain. Um, there's really nowhere that she does not go when it comes to offal and offally good cooking. I'm on a little bit of a train myself when it comes to organ meats. I know how good it is for us to eat. I know that it's a superior food for the human body. It's so bioavailable and it's so nutritious. But I have to admit, sometimes I find it really difficult to stomach these foods. But do you know what? After after talking to Janine, I've realised maybe it's just because I just don't know how to cook it. I just don't know how to prepare it. For example, my liver, when I cook it, it always looks watery and grey. And she says at the end, towards the end of the podcast, that that's because I salt it too soon. So it's really useful to hear from people like Janine because it's people like Janine who can allow us to um, incorporate these nutritious foods into our diets and to actually enjoy it. So you'll love this conversation. She's such a delight. Please enjoy Janine Farzin. 
yeah this is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and oh my gosh we um we we had a conversation booked in a while ago but um I completely get you when you need to get in contact with me and you're like Tam I can't do this conversation right now like I need to take a step back and I just need to recover and rest and you know just have some time so um so this conversation has been um, like in the calendar for a while and I've been looking forward to it. So I just want to say a huge thank you, first of all. How are things over there? Yeah, thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. Yeah. Things are great. You know, yeah. we started school and I was just kind of running with my own little projects and stuff. And then I all of a sudden I realized like, whoa, I have to shift gears. Like I really need to lean into my family. Like coming back into homeschool after summer, summer is very open-ended and free range and there's still some activities that we do but um like it just requires a little bit of discipline to like do that shifting gears with the kids and so really just the presence right all the you know quality time comes from quantity time and so just Mm -hmm. being there and showing up is like how to lean back into that in my experience and I actually have been missing cooking actually when I get too busy I feel like that you know like culturally it seems okay to, to do something simple but Actually, I feel like it's not. It's not a way to be for our family and our home. So I needed to just lean in and go back to my kind of weekly meal schedule and also uh, just think about like how to put like a full meal on the Mm. table like every day for uh, several weeks. And so I had kind of been leaning into that. And um, it's, it's just so good for me to work with my hands in that way. And, um, and also to have that time in our home and in the kitchen, and it's a really inviting space. I feel like it does like kind of connect everybody and pull everyone back together. So that's kind of what I've been leaning into the last few weeks, but I am so grateful that we were able to find a new date and we can connect. Yes, totally. And um, we, we were discussing just now, we we're just having a really great chat about um, family and, and I love your values. And, um, you know, you have a big family, you have four children um, to feed a husband. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love how um, food is at the center. I, that, that's the impression I get because we're going to be talking about organ meats today and um, the importance of organ meats. We're going to geek out um, because I think an episode like this is really warranted where the podcast is at the moment, because um, I think having organ meats and fermented foods and all of those traditional ways of eating in our diet is more than just, oh, that's how we used to eat. Like it's actually, what I'm actually realizing is it's actually necessary to bring them back and to start to include them in our diets more because that there's mm-hmm. a reason why they were there in the first place and um, taking them out of our diets and not having them as much, like who knows what to what detriment that will be, um, like less nutrient density, less gut bacteria and, you know, less microbes. And so I, I'm really on this kind of train at the moment. So there's no better episode to have than to just geek out on organ meats. And you are a specialist. You're an absolute specialist in cooking organ meats. So I love that food is at the center of your family. It's the center of your values. Um, so I guess what I wanted to know is, uh, you're from, off your, um, your, uh, kind of business is awfully good cooking, which I absolutely love. It's such a good play on words. So how did you um, kind of come about with that? And um, because I feel like you have, uh, would you say it's an obsession with um, organ meats? What would you call it's it? It's definitely a passion, it, an obsession. Yeah, it's a definitely passion. Mm. It's just part of um, kind of like a bigger value set, I would say. Mm. 
I came to, um, you know, eating whole foods, similar to most of us, right? I had just like destroyed my health. I, there was, of course, a rock bottom story there. Um, things were not good. And then I, you know, kind of learned about a friend of mine actually recommended that I read Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. I'd never heard of the Western Price Foundation or anything like that. I checked, I'd never heard of this book. I checked it out the library. I read it cover to cover. I put down that book and I was like, well, I was reading the book. I was like telling my husband, things are going to change. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. And I like literally closed the page, like the last page of that book. And I like went and I threw out half the things in our pantry. And I literally drove like three and a half hours that night to buy raw milk in Illinois where on farm sales are legal. And that was the only place I could get it. So, and, um, and I started going every Friday night. Uh, it was kind of a ritual to like drive to this farm, you know, a couple of hours from our house and bring it back um, at the end of the work week and at the end of the week. And it was pretty life changing, but I, there are many themes that resonate in that book, you know, that they properly prepared grains and that they all have fermented foods and things like this. But the thing that I found, the thing that resonated with me, the thing that I heard when I read that book was that, uh, well, two things. One was that these traditional people that had robust health had 10 times the fat soluble vitamins in their diet and four times the minerals, right? Wow. So this is a huge difference. And that the fat soluble vitamins were in the what was considered in every tribe sacred foods. Mm -hmm. So all these cultures were in different places, right? The North Canadian Indians to um, island, Polynesian islands. And so these people were eating vastly different diets, but what they all had were sacred foods. And these sacred foods were, you know, prized for conception, fertility, for, you know, longevity, robust health, like all the things. And so, um, so I kind of knew when I read that book, when I, when I closed it, I was like, okay, we're going to do all these things. But I had felt, I felt like I had been eating healthy for a long time, right? Like we had always had a lot of fruits and vegetables. I actually grew up um, in a home where my mom did cook from scratch. We had a huge garden. We just had so many fruit trees in the backyard. We did a lot of baking, but you know, the, I, we had a real connection to food and seasonal and local and all that. I grew up in the Bay area in California. So that is a place where you can really lean into that food culture, right. you know, like the kind of the Alice Waters culture of like yes. um, whole, simple, seasonal, local foods. And so uh, th that was not foreign to me, but I was like, wait, there is this missing piece. And this missing piece is the sacred foods. Like, where are these? They're totally absent from our culture. They're definitely absent from my life. And so we made all the changes, right? We got raw milk. We started, we had been baking a lot. We started literally when I, you know, I got my copy of Nourishing Traditions. I wore thin the pages of like um, soaked and sprouted grains, right? Because I wanted to maintain the foods that we were already having, right? So I just like started like, like, okay, so now we can have pancakes and waffles, but we'll just like ferment them first. We'll soak them overnight and we'll do all the things. So these pages are like literally falling out of the book. But I was like, I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that my, like that our restoration, my own restoration was not going to happen from soaking and sprouting grains. Like that was not the through line. The through line was the sacred foods. And the fact is, is that my husband and I can see the immigrant generations on both sides of our family. So my husband was actually born abroad. His father was raised in a rural area in the northeastern corner of Iran, uh, tucked in between Turkey and Azerbaijan. He did not have pasteurized milk until he went to college in Tehran at age 20, right? So he like grew up in a, you know, in like just a very different time and place. And so he has all of his living stories about what that food, those food cultures were like. And then my mom was the firstborn of uh, three children to immigrant parents. She grew up with all these food ways. So when the thing about Western prices, when I read this book and they're talking about these sacred foods and they're talking about what, you know, real food and healthful food looks like, the animal fats, the fat soluble vitamins, nose to tail. I was like, wait, like I've heard these stories my whole life. My mom, of course, saved us from having to eat those foods because 
she was part of a generation of assimilation, right? Mm-hmm. So she really wanted to speak. When she started school in kindergarten, she didn't speak a lick of English. She was the only non-native speaker in her class. So that experience like defined a lot of her ways. She was really trying to separate from that past, right? And like not be part of it and really to be American. And, um, and so she associated a lot of the food ways also, like these weird foods that they ate were part of like a culture that she, you know, that she was trying to separate from. So, you know, now people come and they really want to hold on to their heritage. And I think that I'm part of a, you know, a generation of people that may also want to kind of restore their ancestral heritage, right? So when I learned about this, I was like, wait, this is the way my grandma, my mom talks about my grandma fed them liver like one week or one day a week, like every week of her life, pretty much. And my my dad, when he started dating my mom, would always come around for liver night. Like he would never miss a liver night in my mom's house. When I started cooking like this, there was actually... I do have one post from many years ago where um, it's a it's a tongue dish and it's in a broth. And uh, I remember eating that and the on the bottom of the bowl is like all the little fat droplets, like mm-hmm. red, like fat droplets. And to me, like that is like the epitome of like what I remember about my grandma's cooking was just that every plate was just like laced with fat at the end of the meal. And of course, like a lot of paprikas and... Um, oregano, fresh herbs, mints, like things like that. And so, but just like those red fat droplets from like all the paprika and spices and everything and garlic and um, red wine, like red wine in every dish, right? That, so I was like, oh my gosh, this is real food. You know, what is food if it's not like seasonal and local and having a deep connection? Yeah. And so for me, like when I learned about these things, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, we have to incorporate these sacred foods. And so my mom was really my best source of information because she had grown up eating all of these things. You know, she grew up with literally crocks of salted pig parts, like in corners of their house, right? Because my grandparents came from the old country and used the entire animal. Right. My mom said that, you know, she hated these foods. She hated eating liver. Um, she hated brains. She thought it was so weird. She definitely thought that they ate all these things because they were poor because they, you know, she thought they were poor and they spoke a different language. They were different from all the other kids in the street that were having TV dinners in the fifties, you know, at some point my grandparents took the girls back to Portugal for a year and um, it was actually when the Bay of Pigs crisis was escalating. My grandfather like left the country because he didn't know if he would go to war. And so, you know, that came out afterwards. But he, they drove across the country and they took a, a ship to Portugal with their car and they spent a year in Portugal. And so they like got to know the old, the old country and all this stuff. And my mom says that at some point they went to the island of Madeira, which is where my grandmother's from. And they stayed in this like castle, like hotel. It was a castle, you know, former castle. And then they went, they were there and it was a really fancy place, like a beautiful hotel. And and they went into the restaurant like the first day, like morning or evening, I don't know. And she said that there was like brains on the menu, like three different ways. And she was mortified because she was like, I just couldn't believe that like these fancy rich people were eating brains. Like I thought we ate brains because we were poor, like because we had to, you know, like this horrible food that nobody else ate. And so this is like really her story, but it's, it was imprinted on me, right? So when I was like, oh my gosh, we have to eat the ancestral foods. I was like, oh, like we're all in. Like, this is like actually a preservation of my heritage and my culture. And I can see it in my husband's family. Like, absolutely. Like all of the uh, Persian lamb dishes. And so I was like, we're all in. We're going I, all in. I, I feel like having organ meats is is considered weird these days because people right? think that and they think, what, brains? What, heart? You eat, mm-hmm. you, know, you eat kidneys? Like... Um, we we kind of have this disgust around it, but it doesn't make sense because um, like for our ancestors and even up until like our grandparents, like they were eating 
organ meets and like you said even your parents so yeah. it's almost like our generation maybe our parents generation as well um for in the most part uh that's when things change the relationship changed with organ meats right well just, it's like my mom right she really wanted right. to save my sister and I from those foods so I remember growing up like we would go to cousins houses and they would slaughter a goat in the backyard right. and we would eat that whole goat but I, don't, whole I never ate the organs I don't know what happened to this but I'm sure that there were some old ladies in the kitchen like aunties that were like taking that stuff down and my mom's like you guys don't have to eat that weird stuff like oh I hated that stuff and even to this day my mom won't eat anything and she came to uh my first conference talk at the Weston Price Conference in 2019, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh my gosh, like these people really like you, Janine. Like what's wrong with these people? Like why do they want to eat this stuff? And so I think it is like really natural, right? Like that we have a whole generation of people that either don't know what it is or kind of grossed out by it or, right. you know, because like they didn't have, they just haven't had the opportunity to revisit like the bigger picture. Right. And so when that presented itself to me, I was like, whoa, we are all in. And, and I and, love how, you know, you're on a mission to change <laughs> the way people think. And I remember me and you were talking, um, we were messaging each other before this, and we were, we were kind of arranging to talk. And you said, I don't know why, but I feel this, I feel really compelled to just teach everyone about organ meats. And I, that right. passion really comes through. So I think that's amazing. Um, you've mentioned Weston A. Price quite a few times. And I have to say, anybody who's listening, um, they have to know about um, the power and the, the impact that um, Dr. Weston A. Price has had on um, our nutrition um, and Absolutely. the way that we see it. Um, so basically, Dr. Weston A. Price is the early 1900s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he decided yeah. to um, go to um, go travel around the world to go to kind of um, different. Uh, what would you call them? Local, local um, native tribes, or like? Well, um, he was looking for people that didn't have cavities, right? He was a dentist exactly. in right. Cleveland, and he was like, "All these people in my office have all these cavities. Like, mm. how do we resolve cavities?" And there was all this speculation in the dental field, research about this thing and that thing. Is it too much acid or too much or too you know this? Is it the sugar? Is it this? And then he was like, why don't we just find the people that don't have any cavities and see what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So this was like his, and then he went around the world to, to find these people. So he would go to places that were fairly remote. And then he would ask like, where are the most remote people? And then he would like travel these far distances and to come study in contact. Their diets, and, like have a look at what yeah, they're right. saying. And the, the, his book that he wrote, Nourishing Traditions. And not nutrition, uh, nutrition, physical degeneration. Physical right. degeneration. Um, that is a heavy book. Like that is, it is. A, it's a hefty read. And the fact it that you, you read that it's from a page, <laughs> right? If from cover to cover, you read that. I read. I got about halfway through um, before I kind of thought, okay, right. Like I think I'm done with that it. for now. Like I'll yeah. come back to it. Um, but it's it's really incredible what he found. And he, basically, he just collated um, all of this information about what. Um, the reason why these people in these um, communities, why they didn't have any cavities, they had the most amazing teeth, the most mm-hmm. amazing um, like mouths, like they didn't yeah. have any crooked teeth. Um, he even said that their personalities were really calm and like um, happy. Um, they were robust, um, strong. So he was like, it must, it, it must be coming down to the diet. And um, so basically um, the, his work and the Westerday Price Foundation, which, you know, you present for and you do some work with, um, is all about getting back to our the way that ancestors ate, like these communities mm-hmm. that Westerday Price found. Um, so I just, I find it really fascinating and that's a heavy read. So well done for getting through that. <laughs> but, Thank but you. You, you refer to um, organ meats as sacred foods. 
So you've said it a few times, it's on your website. um, And it's basically something that you refer them to as quite, quite loosely. Now, anybody listening to that would be like, what? Like, what sacred foods? Just liver, kidneys, brains? Like, what what the hell is she talking about? Like sacred foods? Um, But but there's truth in that. So can you tell me why you refer to them so quickly as sacred? Why are they sacred foods? Right. Well, I mean, for me, it was really like, kind of tied to an information piece, like I said, that he found that these communities had 10 times the fat soluble vitamins than Americans in the 1930s. So, and then where do we find, like, we can't find fat soluble vitamins in muscle meat, for example, like we're just, they're not, they're absent. So we can find fat soluble vitamins in full fat dairy in eggs mm-hmm. in, uh, in actually in all of the arthropods, arthropods, are a class of animals like insects. And so the insects of the land and the sea. So there are cultures that have eaten a lot of insects um, in Africa, even in Mexico. You can go down if you're like going to go hike a pyramid. They'll have like the person selling like little fried crickets on the side. Right. Or um, but also we're more comfortable with the insects of the sea, which would be like crab, um, lobster, things like that. Unfortunately, we're at a place where if I were to go and buy those at the store, all of the uh, tamale, as it is called, uh, would be removed. So it's actually really hard to find. But growing up in coastal California from a Portuguese family, like we definitely ate a lot of that too, for sure. Yeah, so I think that those sacred foods were like the denominator. I was like, okay, so you can get them in other places. But the fact is, is that to get the same vitamin A is like such a... And really, a vitamin A, yeah, vitamin A is at its richest in organ organ meats. It especially is. So you would have to eat uh, eighty seven eggs in the course of a week to get the same amount of vitamin A as in one serving, one three ounce serving of beef liver. Wow. So that's a pretty big difference. So I know that some people are like, oh, I'm eating eggs, like even like a half dozen eggs for breakfast, like carnivore community kind of like, oh, I've got enough. I mean, maybe, but it's like that's a pretty big gap. I mean, it also depends on where you're coming from. Like if you've had, you know, if you've been eating some vitamin A rich foods for an extended amount of time, but in the absence of these foods, it's hard to imagine. Also, you know, you can get some vitamin A precursors from plant foods, but Mm. about half of us don't have the genes to be good converters of those. And some people are very compromised in their conversion. I imagine I must be one of those people because when I came to this work, I had all the telltale signs. I mean, of just being extremely vitamin A deficient. Wow. And so, so, like, so I, I can imagine your motivation behind all of this is, um, you know, would you say that the fact that you started eating organ meats, you started introducing it into your diet for your family, yourself, did you see um, health improvements in yourself? Oh, absolutely. I right. mean, organ there's meats that are motivation. The, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing that I think is like really, truly changed our health. And and we can take them out for a little while, right? If there's like something gets in the way and like we're not preparing them or I don't have access to them for some amount of time, it, like, I do feel like, and we're doing all the things, right? Like eating ferments regularly, raw milk, like we only eat grains and sprouted and so like all that stuff. We don't have any seed oils in our home. We hardly ever eat out. I mean, all the stuff. But without those foods, I mean, I definitely mm. notice a difference. Like, what I difference don't... do you notice? Because I feel like just... I need some of that in my life. Yeah, and I mean, I just feel like it's same. all the energy. What do we get when we eat organ meats? Like, what do we well, expect? Well, so much clarity, right? Mm. Focus and concentration. Ooh, yes. um, some of that, yeah. <laughs> right? <for sure. laughs> I mean, I definitely feel like these are energy foods. I actually, mm. uh, I have several recipes on my site as well for raw meats. I do feel like that was like the thing that was like so weird that I was like, we have to, that like, those are the things that seem really uh, weird to our culture and where I was like, you guys, we can do this again. It's not that weird, right? They have carpaccio in Italy and they have tartare in France and they have pho in, in Southeast Asia. And, you know, all these people are using these raw meats in many ways. So we can incorporate them again and the organ meats. Yeah. And then of course there's all of the, you know, I think that in general in our culture today, we suffer from a lot of chronic illnesses and 
I believe that so much of what's going on with our body in all of these different states is just that we are not signaling abundance, Mm. right? So if we're not signaling abundance, then we'll retain weight or we will shut down our fertility or, you know, our reproductive systems or our immune system, our digestion, like all of these things start to break down when our body feels compromised. And so the way to communicate abundance is both to eat enough food and then to eat the you know enough nutrients. I, I completely agree because the, the typical westernized diet is heavily processed. And I actually remember <clears throat> having a podcast with Sally Fallon Morell, and it was a fabulous conversation. That I love that woman. Um, she she's I the she, I love that woman. Um, she's the she's the head of the Western A Price Foundation. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, and um, she I, I said to her, you know, in in supermarkets there must be about seventy percent of foods. That are processed like heavily processed and she's like there must be more like it must be more than 70 percent because a typical westernized diet is um processed um also that the the way that our soils aren't as nutrient dense as they used to be um because we're not engaging in proper farming methods like regenerative farming methods um so really that the, the nutrients that we're consuming is so much less than it used to be um, like hundreds, hundred, hundred years ago, let's say. So yeah. the fact that you say a westernized diet, um, you know, it signals that we're not in abundance. I completely agree. And mm-hmm. so the body will hang on to, you know, its resources as for as long as it can. But then I, I believe that having plenty of organ meats in your diet would signal, um, uh, would signal abundance and then you know increased energy increased concentration but then also if someone's looking to lose weight then th- this is also a good way to do it because right your because is this like... is the signaling of abundance exactly like when you have right, everything like you that. need for your cells to communicate properly like this is the signaling of abundance this allows everything in your body to relax and like drop out of fight or flight or flight yeah. and come back into rest and digest like all of these these are all of the signals right so this is what the organ meats are doing these really right. nutrient-dense foods yeah. And then, of course, so the, of course, there's energy, focus, and concentration. There's huge mood improvements, mental health. There's all of there's just the signaling of abundance. And then the last, I would say, is like all the beauty aids, mm. right? Like this, this is the beauty category, right? Everyone has. It's Love like it. a four billion dollar industry for um, basically retinol A skin cream, like acne skin creams. Right. Like people, you are just applying synthetic, like yeah, yes. synthetic vitamin A on your skin, and actually, like the risk of toxicity is ten times higher with synthetic vitamin A than it is with real foods. They looked at 279 cases of vitamin A toxicity and found that you would have to have 10 times the dose of like real plant foods, right? Because these are super bioavailable and they are embedded in a host of other compounds that our body, like we don't, you know, we know so much, but we don't totally understand the way our body can extract things when they're in a kind of a orchestra of all these other nutrients. And so to separate them is, um, it, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of hubris, (laughs) Right, yeah. like that we know so much, we can just like right. pull that one nutrient out, and you can apply it on your skin, and like you'll act, you know, your acne goes away, and it's like all fine. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I mean, is it is that single compound addressing all of your vitamin A deficiency symptoms? It's just, it's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know, but yeah. and there's a time and place, right? For some people, that's totally the right path for them, but yeah. for me, I just knew that that was not. I mean, I, I feel like animal, the animal kingdom, and um, our ancestors knew, just knew that the organ meats were the best part to eat of an animal absolutely and um it's it's kind of in ancient stories as well you know how Mm -hmm. um how 
like in ancient times, um, the organ meats, they used to be kind of held onto and given to the people who really needed it, like um, pregnant women and children and anybody who needs to grow and needs to nourish and um, needs to be looked after, the elderly. Um, the organ meats were kind of saved for that. There's this kind of evidence mm-hmm. in, in kind of scriptures and and the the muscle meats were, um, you know, obviously eaten as well, but even- But literally given to the dogs, right? right? When there's excess Price meats, like given that. to the animals. Yeah, yeah. With, with the Native Americans in early 1900s, mm-hmm. the muscle meats, some of them were thrown to the dogs. So, I mean, I love steak. I love chicken. Um, I love muscle meats and, you know, it's so good for you. But um, when it comes to the nutrition, the nutritional element, organ meats are at the top of the tree when it comes to how much nutrition you can get for for like per bite. It's it's kind of you can't compare the two. Um, So I guess this kind of leads us naturally on to. So we've been talking about what to expect when we when we eat organ meats in our diet. So. Let's look at the nutritional benefits. So we've been talking about vitamin A, which is really, really fascinating. Um, But also, what other nutrients do you find in organ meats that, you know, we we would find beneficial to us? Well, there's such a huge array of Mm. nutrients depending on the organ, right? And so liver, of course, is the, you know, nature's multivitamin, the superfood, all this stuff. It's going to have the highest levels of uh, vitamin A. It's going to have, that would complement your sunlight, right? So vitamin A, D, and K, we also learned really need to be in concert with each other. They need to be and so together, having, right? Yeah. Right. Or just, um, they need to come together in some package. And so uh, traditional peoples would have had a lot of sunlight. And so the vitamin A would have been a complement to that vitamin D. We don't have quite as much sunlight, but if you go back to traditional recipes like Julia Child or Marcella Hazan, or like just like a hundred years ago, like how kind of these traditional cultures were cooking, you'll see that they will make a pate and it will literally have a whole stick of butter or a full cup of cream Mm. mixed into that. And so if those full fat dairy products were from pastured animals, then those would have the vitamin D from the sunlight of their, you know, them being out on pasture, like stored also into in their fats. So that is another, it's interesting how those like always go together or like sort of a head cheese or pates or um, like force meats that are in like terrines, for example, it'd be like ground pork is mm-hmm. often mixed with uh, organ meats, things like that. So ground that like really high fat ground pork is also going to be like a really good source of vitamin D, for example, yeah. in these traditional preparations. So they, those go together really well. Some um, so, vitamins for sure. But then also the water soluble. So the, the water was soluble. Exactly. Right? So and more B vitamins than anything, and they all go together, right? So um, I'll probably get this wrong if I go through each one. But you know, one of the B vitamins is for the digestion and assimilation and uh, extraction of energy from carbohydrates. Mm. One of the B vitamins is for the extraction of energy from fats. One of the B vitamins is for the extraction of energy from protein, Mm -hmm. right? One of them is for um, like neurotransmitter synthesis. One of them is for cell repair. So these B vitamins together are really the work of energy. Yeah, like if you're low on energy, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues that we can point to, but one of them is, and this is actually why liver is like such an energizing food, I would say. Well, actually many of the organ meats because you get all these uh, B vitamins are going to help you utilize the energy from the foods that you're eating, right? So if you can't, if you don't have, if you're eating a full diet, you're not, you don't have energy, then you're not extracting that energy properly. Um, and then of course the fat soluble vitamins are the ones, those are the telling the cells how to communicate in our body. They're basically referred to as hormones in medical literature, literature, they're chemical messengers. So they're kind of doing that work. And then of course, things like coenzyme Q10, which is uh, very high in heart, but also very high in liver and underappreciated there, that is a huge antioxidant. So what that is doing is basically reducing inflammation at the cellular level. By reducing that inflammation, you have more energy, right? Your cells can like 
of course, there's the copper benefits. Let me get into the minerals. A lot of people know that like anemia is uh, low iron. Of course, when I came actually, when one of the another like one of my root cause symptoms was um, just being anemic, like for many many years, and then going into pregnancy and uh, breastfeeding and all that, and just really struggling with my iron levels. And so, liver is a decent source of iron, but it's really the copper that we now believe is like iron, kind of being like a general and or as the foot soldiers and copper yeah. being the general telling the foot soldiers where to go. So yes. getting, making sure that we have that copper kind of helps us utilize the iron or red blood cells, all that. So it's another energy source. I'm just going to cut in here quickly to tell you about an amazing supplement and healthy snack company, Paleo Valley. And if you're based in the US or Canada, have I got a treat for you. I love the way they only use the best ingredients that are ethically sourced for you and your family. And you can't miss the podcast episode number 43 with Autumn Smith, the co-founder of Paleo Valley, because once you listen to it, you'll see that she lives and breathes health for her customers and the planet. My favorite product by far is the grass-fed organ complex. I know organ meats are the most nutritious foods on the planet, but I struggle to stomach them from time to time, right? But I'm not too worried about missing out on essential nutrients like iron, vitamin B12 and CoQ10 because this 30-day supplement has me covered. I couldn't recommend it enough. My eyes actually feel brighter and my cognitive energy has definitely improved after the first month of use. So if you want the same for yourself, click the link in the show notes for 15% off your next order. You can thank me later. And, and actually, I'm, just uh, just to quickly cut in there, just to just yeah. about anemia. Um, so anemia is is so this is the thing it's so common, especially with mm-hmm. women, because obviously we give birth and we have right. Menstrual we give blood every month. Every month. We, right. we, we we literally lose blood every month. So, um, so we are the most likely gender to be anemic, and um, but a lot of us, the blood tests will show it, but then for many of us, it doesn't. And so you could mm-hmm. be walking around like lackluster, hair's not great, um, poor energy, um, yeah. you know, just just not feeling good because, you know, iron, the, the whole point of it is that it, it's, it kind of um, it builds your red blood cells. So if you can imagine, you don't have as much good quality blood in your body. You can imagine what that can do. And um, so many of many of us are walking around with just less iron than they should have. <laughs> Um, well, just less access to it, right? Like it access, might be there, but it might right. be stored in the tissues, that, it's and it's not getting into the blood. Yes, right. And so, so Morley Robbins actually talks about at the cellular level, like so. There's the whole body level of energy, mm-hmm. and then there's the cellular level of energy, and that copper is actually the missing piece. So enzymes are, um, you know, basically where all the component parts are there for a chemical reaction, but it's missing one key piece. Mm-hmm. And so that mineral molecule is usually the piece that will, you know, complete that enzyme. And when that enzyme is available like when it's available then then uh you know chemical reaction will take place Mm -hmm. and so uh, morley robbins has talked about how copper is the mineral that is needed for so for basically the enzymes at our in our mitochondria to um to basically produce water and um and basically to get the reap the energy benefits of that and it's a a little bit of a complex chemistry but i mean at at the very core of our cells and our mitochondria copper from liver in coordination with vitamin A is actually like generating cellular energy at the, at the very finest level. It was, so it was, it's pretty powerful. It's really powerful. And um, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, she said that liver is an absolute re- resuscitation for anemia. Yes. And I was just like, wow, that's one hell of a quote. Like, so it, if, if anybody feels like they have any symptoms of anemia, um, 
then, you know, including organ meats, including liver into your diet would be a really great thing to do. And to be honest, that's what I, that's one of the main reasons why I've been so focused on it because Mm -hmm. I, you know, even though, I mean, standard blood tests don't actually show (laughs) that if you're anemic a lot of the time. So, but I have the symptoms, I know it like, and, and plus Mm -hmm. with, with my two children, I lost a lot of blood with both of them. And it's funny, my symptoms started after I had kids. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've, that, that's why I, that's my motivation for organ meats and for liver, especially um, to kind of include it in my diet, just to get, you know, just to get those, you know, th- those nutrients that I need to help me, you know, get over that. But um, yeah. And also CoQ10, I mean, you say that, um, you know, energy improves. So CoQ10 is a massive um, component of mitochondria and the energy exactly. of our house of the cell. So um, getting that into your diet is so so important as well um so yeah. also if we have any oxidation in our body right if we have any polyunsaturated fats mm. and they're floating around in our bloodstream and they are you know rupturing and then this is the cholesterol problem and that's like a whole other vein yeah. but the coq10 is basically like going to directly kind of heal those wounds and like repair those cells and um, keep them alive long enough to like get into out of our bloodstream and into the cells so that we don't have this problem of um, triglycerides and cholesterol and things like that. So again, that's like a signaling of abundance at its core, right? Or why are the cells not receiving the things that are in the blood to begin with, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're saying, pass it on to the next one, right? I don't want to take it because we don't have enough for everyone. And who's going to kind of, you know, if you're playing that game in your body. So the whole idea of signaling abundance, but this is just liver, right? So Frontiers in Nutrition in 2022, they looked at um, kind of the top foods for micronutrient needs. And, you know, four of the top eight foods were organ meats, liver, kidney, spleen, and heart. But um, actually 18 of the top 20 foods were animal foods. So, I mean, it's really animal foods are are your most nutrient dense bet. And then uh, at the very top of that list is going to be the organ meats. And it's true. And so I have a chart where I kind of put together a bunch of data from the USDA database and there's plant foods over here and they're kind of like lighter color. And then there's muscle meat and uh, animal foods in the middle range and they're kind of mid in color. And then there's the organ meats and they're much darker in color, right? Because those cuts like kidney and liver and spleen, and uh, they're like, they have all the nutrients basically mm-hmm. down the board. But it's interesting because some uh, organ meats that we're not as familiar with, like sweetbreads or brains, they're basically equivalent to seafood, which we know that seafood is very high in minerals and like has these special fats. And um, and it's interesting, like when you look at the color of those bars, you're like, oh, that's actually a really equivalent food. And it's we also know that like the Plains Indians, for example, they were really prizing the brains and things like that because they didn't have access necessarily to seafood. Seafood will have long chain uh, fatty acids, but that's where in the brains, that that's where you find them in animal foods, right? So if you don't have access to those seafoods, you can get the same really essential nutrients for brain health in the brains. Um, I guess that's not surprising. And then things like tripe, if you look at the list, it's like, oh, they don't have a lot of nutrients. Like there's not a lot. It's not a very dark cell, like line going down with like every nutrient level. But then you have to think about it and you think about, well, what about amino acids and like protein synthesis and things like that, right? So we now know that there's this balance of different amino acids. If you eat all muscle meat, then you're going to be really high in some amino acids, methionine, right? Which can cause like leading to all fourth mortality. And like, we have lots of indications that that may not be a good thing just to have only muscle meat in our diet. But this is, these are the the glycine and these other amino acids are going to balance that. And so you'll find that those are really high in these foods that maybe don't look like they have so many nutrients, right? So you can say ligaments, tendons, things like that, they're going to be extremely high in this. And actually, what's funny about organ meats is that they are all really high in connective tissue and these other 
uh, amino acids. And that is actually one of their defining features. And it's also why they can be tricky to cook. Right. Because they have that texture that a lot of people don't like. Yeah. Exactly. Or just unfamiliar with. Yeah. So we don't really know how to prepare it super well. Um, it's, it's a little bit just foreign yeah. to us. So kind of becoming familiar with that and knowing it well is like a door to just a whole nother variety of meat. Um, so. I, I suppose, you know, talking about nutrients, vitamin A toxicity is always a question that's going yeah. to come up for people because um, definitely uh, it, it can be a case of someone can have too much vitamin A in their diet. And actually I have some, um, I have this story that I, that I found that I want to share with you. And I just wonder if you heard it. So basically that the liver is very high in vitamin A because that's where Absolutely. vitamin A is stored uh, for humans and for animals. And um, so basically in the Arctic, the polar bears and um, the seals, they have even more vitamin A in their liver because mm-hmm. of just their shape, their blubber, like they need as much vitamin A as they can get because vitamin A is, is, is responsible for building, right? It's for like putting things like skin right. and blubber and things. So that's one of the many um, functions it has. So um, basically, the the people that the people who um, uh, who live in the Arctic, they know to not have as much polar bear liver and seal liver because it's so high in vitamin A and having too much vitamin A in your diet can be dangerous. So they know to mm-hmm. kind of stay away from it. But the story is um, when the Europeans found the Arctic and they started exploring, uh, they ignored the advice of the locals and they were having <laughs> all of the liver. They were having all of the polar bear liver. They were having it every day, um, like indulging in it. And it wasn't long before um, they started to get hideous, hideous symptoms. And I'm talking serious vitamin A toxicity, things like their skin was peeling off, like crushing headaches and, um, you know, that their guts weren't doing too good and like just Mm -hmm. really hideous, hideous symptoms um, and death for a lot of them. So that's a really interesting story. So not to put anyone off liver. (laughs) So I guess when it comes to our liver, um consumption how much is too much how much should we be aiming for per week we talk about an average like we talk about the average the average american is actually vitamin a deficient right right and actually american child is actually not um because of fortified juices breakfast cereals and fortified milk right mm-hmm. but the average american adult more than half of them have micronutrient deficiencies documented in vitamin a according to the linus pauling institute at oregon state who is studying micronutrient deficiencies across every uh, nutrient, including enrichment and fortification, right? And really a focus on how enrichment and fortification are helping us meet our needs. And so most, most adults, and you can see this, right? Like the, like I'm saying, like the acne skin care is like a billion dollar industry and, you know, all these other, there's, there's, um, you know, without vitamin A, we actually can have like a hardening of our, of our tissues and our cells. And so, mm-hmm. you know, symptoms of vitamin A deficiency could be like common respiratory infections because like the villi here have been hardened and they're not doing their job in their lungs. It could be vaginal dryness or lack of cervical mucus, things like that, like dryness, right? It could be like, it's the bumps on the back of your arms like mm-hmm. where the skin is kind of keratinized. And the same thing can happen with men, like, and actually their sperm can be keratinized where it's kind of become hard and like, and it's not like flowing well and, and you know, motility is down and all this. So the deficiency symptoms, um, across that range. I mean, these are very common and we have, we have uh, band-aids for many of these things, right? Like you can, there's like things that are just on the products on the market, just for vaginal dryness or just yeah. for, you know, your skin or like these different or mental health and, issues, yes. right? Yeah. Like we have things that are just addressing those things, but these could be very much related to vitamin A deficiency. And so it's actually quite common, but 
Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I do think that like carnivore communities, things like this, like we actually starting to see people having an overload of vitamin A mm. because they're eating like upwards of a pound of liver a week or something. Right. And like, how much liver do you need? I mean, this is like, let's definitely dive into this because yeah. I, you know, in our culture where something is good, like more is better. Right. And you go back like 1500s. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to say is it Paracelsus or Pericles. Effectively, the quote is something that the dose is in the or the poison the dose is the poison. Yes. Right. Like yes. even drinking water can be poisonous yeah, or toxic poisonous, or kill you. Much, right. Like we know people like frat boys, like hazing yeah. people and then they couldn't, they had took away the alcohol. So they started drinking yeah. water and like people died yeah. from drinking water. So like, of course you can die from eating an excess of vitamin A. I mean, yes. and the thing is, is that I think that um, culturally, like the traditional cultures really had a sense and they knew that eating livers from carniv carnivorous animals, right? Like a polar bear is a carnivore. And um, that those would have a concentration of vitamin A that would be much higher than in an omnivorous animal, um, which wouldn't have such a high concentration because they, animals, of course, will always go for the liver for, first, the most nutrient dense things. And so they will have an accumulation that's much higher. So I actually think that, you know, and then you can go into the studies. And so, that, and there was some question that came out in the 1990s, there was the Rothman study, and there was some question about uh, vitamin A consumption in the first trimester of pregnancy that would lead to uh, some sort of uh, fetal defects. Mm -hmm. And it is, it, you know, and if you go into the literature and you read the Rothman study and you look into the uh, the journal that it's published in, the next month they have like eight letters to the editor of like lots of people having uh, questions about the study and the reputability of the study and the methods of the study that, you know, it was all intake forms, none of it was documented. Um, so people, there's not really a good sense of like how much vitamin A and the sources that it came from and things mm -hmm. like that. And we do know from other studies that Synthetic vitamin A will is like much more likely to lead to toxicity symptoms than true vitamin A in the animal form. So, and then that I think in the 1990s, in coordination with like just low cholesterol in general and like animal fats being bad for you, like really put a damper on liver as well. And I think that there's a lot of people that even go into pregnancy, the most important time in your life to have these fat soluble vitamins and have a real fear of it and don't want to, and actually they might eat liver otherwise and say, I'm not going to eat it during this phase because I don't mm -hmm. want to risk my child which is a really fascinating like place that we've come to like really full circle from generations before, which, you know, thrived on quad liver oil and ate the livers and yeah. gave it to kids and always gave it to nursing and pregnant women. And what's interesting now is actually, if you read like the summary of um, vitamin A research from the WHO, you will find that they are actually giving children, infants, a hundred thousand IU in a single serving dose um, with, with no medicine because they have found that the benefits far exceed the risk that, that the benefits to these children and to the mothers. Um, so what they're doing is they're not giving it in the first trimester of pregnancy because that is where some doubt remains from the Rothman right. study. And that research has never been able to never joint. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. some uncertain risk, yeah. right? Because we just don't know how the research was conducted, but there was a, a report that came out of that, that, you know, more information was needed, but we found that this higher level of vitamin A, which was uncertain for many reasons, um, what that, what actually that level was, and also what other environmental or nutrient compounding things could be involved in that. Like were those birth defects actually from other factors in the environment? We don't know. And it, like there were, there was not a lot of data and it was like very poor data. So it's just not clear, but that study like really put, I think that because of the timing of that study with the cholesterol concerns of the 1990s and, you know, like no red meat and no butter, and no eggs. And like, it was just like that, that together, like really has put a, a stamp. And, and because of that, the, all of the dietitians in the United States, like even ones that are Western price minded are very limited in what they can say, like how much vitamin A you can eat. But I will tell you that the WHO gives, they take the highest level, like what we consider to be the maximum dose you can take in a week 
And, uh, and they do that for an entire, they get, they calculate a year's worth of that. And they give that in one or two doses in the developing world in single vitamin A doses. And it is a huge life-saving prevention that happens in the developing world. And you can read more about that in the WHO reports. But um, so that is fascinating. And so that tells us two things. First of all, is that vitamin A uh, and all the fat soluble vitamins are indeed exactly that they are fat soluble and they are stored. And so accumulation matters. And so if you are deficient in vitamin A, as these people in the developing world are, and you give them a whole year's dose at the highest level, like what the polar, like what these explorers had eaten, um, or more to infants, that they will actually thrive mm-hmm. because they have none in their system and they will utilize all of it and they will store the rest. Right. And so if you have a high level and then you take on a lot more, then now you're, you know, you can definitely start to inch up into place of territory you may not want to go. Right. How do people get into that territory? I mean, this is the real question. If you go back and you look at, you look at Jacques Pepin cooking uh, liver or kidney, like you can find it on Instagram right now. Like you can, he's serving a five or six ounce portion of liver, right? This is like a traditional French serving. Like you would serve liver would be like a steak, right? And you would serve it like a meal. Like this would be a meal. It would be like with some Swiss chard and a sauce and like beautiful like capers and red onions and uh, herbs, tarragon. Like this is a meal and it is a steak. This is not eaten every day. Mm-hmm. This is something that's eaten. Like, you know, my mother grew up eating liver like pretty much every week of her life, she says. Um, probably, you know, it probably was pretty much every week. It could have been every other, you know, sometimes it probably didn't happen. Sometimes there is an excess, right? You can't get the liver. Like this, I think is um, a sustainable level. And so informed by my own, but like I, when I started eating organ meats, I was like, we're going all in, right? Like I'm in serve liver the way my grandmother did. Like we're having a plate of liver. Like this is what's for dinner, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of ways for to like have people kind of get more familiar with it now and be like, okay, use a blend. Like don't, don't like, you know, freak out your family or anything like you don't have to serve it as like a whole meal you could like just do a little appetizer so people can experiment and try it you can like test it different ways just cook one slice instead of cooking the whole package or you know something like that defrost it in um, increments but um i don't know so i i do think that i but i actually do think that there is a very serious risk now because now we have this culture of like more like people don't really understand all the nuances of this they think that's something that's good and it is extremely yeah. good like more is better so let's just go all in and i yeah. i was actually just watching a video um on youtube from some really some influencers that i really really love and they were talking about you know have like four to 16 ounces of liver a week and i was thinking well that you know it's interesting because if you have a cow and it's um about 1200 pounds you can take off about 500 pounds of muscle meat and i know that bill schindler talks about this in his book and um but you know like the most nutrient-dense parts the blood the fat the organs a lot of this gets wasted and thrown out but even still like this is the situation we have today, then we would want to be eating all of that. Mm. <clears throat> and many of those would be like more on sources of vitamin. Like kidney is also fairly high in vitamin A. It's not liver, but it, it also has good quantities of that spleen as well. So, but okay, you have a 1200 pound cow, you have 500 pounds of muscle meat, you have a 15 pound liver. That's about 2% of the animal. Mm. And if you were to take all the organs together that, that I can get access to, like I'm not even talking about all the organs, I'm talking about the organs that I've been able to regularly purchase and consume in our home. Like, uh, tripes, uh, sweetbreads, kidneys, spleen, um, brains, things like that. Like now you have about 30 pounds mm-hmm. of awful, mm-hmm. right? So that's about 4% of the animal. Right. So if you have, uh, imagine that you have a week of uh, seven days and three, three meals a day, that's 21 meals in a week. I mean, one meal out of 20 would be one out of 20 is 5%. Right. So like if you eat one meal a week and then it was actually 21 meal, right? So a little less than that's like 4.7%. If you eat one meal of organ meats a week, that'd be about 4% of your diet. Right. So like one, like I'm not t- telling people to like eat like organ meats for like some the other day I was, I did a, um, you know, I do a every month or two of just like 
how to cook all the organ meats basically. And it's a free masterclass and you can sign up for it on my site at awfullygoodcooking.com. But, and so somebody on the call was like, oh my gosh, so do you eat organs like every single day? I said, no, no, this is just a, no, like we just, I mean, I I do probably eat organs more than most and we cook the other cuts as often as I can get access to them. But there is a question of access and, um, how, how much should yes. we be eating then? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I do think that like once a week is once a great a place to eat. And like, you know, we always we have the that. question of like doable. what to put on the table for dinner, right? Like every day, this, this is the grace and beauty of Sally Morel <laughs> is that there's like this fad diet, there's this fad diet, and there's that fad diet, and there's this guy and that guy and the other guy. And they're like telling you, eat this, eat this, eat this. But like, I, what I love about Sally Fallon is that she put dinner on the table for mm. four kids every night for right. 20 years. So when you've put dinner on the table, I'm only 14 years yeah. in. But like you put dinner on the table every night for 14 years. And you know it's what you're like, talking what about. Is, what, yeah. well, what's for dinner? Like yeah. you guys come up with something like what's for dinner? Like, oh, okay, we have another night. Like what's for dinner? What's for dinner? What's for dinner? Yeah. Right? Like this is the yeah. question. And so don't we all need a little bit more diversity? Yes. Like, yeah. Don't we all need like some fresh ideas? Don't we all need an infusion of like something unique or different or fun? I mean, or scary. Right. right. <laughs> but just like, don't we just need a little bit more? Like, I mean, really the same thing, like every week for 20 years, like, you're just going to eat a steak on a plate. I mean, that's totally fine for some people. And, and that's great. But I just think that in the raising children, in the context of our culture, when there was years where all my kids wanted, mm. um, when we were basically grain free, but all my kids wanted in our lunchbox was a sandwich. Mm, you know, like that, that's all they wanted. They mm. just wanted a sandwich. You know, everyone else had a sandwich. Like, why couldn't they just have a sandwich? I was giving them cans of sardines. I was always, I was giving them Tupperwares of soup, you know, warm soup. I was giving them homemade tamales. I was giving them you know, leftovers, like warmed up leftovers. Oh, they had hot canisters, like pretty much every day, right? And then they would have sides like olives or sliced bell peppers or, you know, like slice some sliced carrot, like some vegetable, never a sandwich, right? Like all they wanted was a sandwich. Yeah. And um, I don't know, so it's just interesting, like yeah. in the context of American culture, like you're going to take your kid to soccer practice and then they're going to play on the team for the whole season. And then on the last day, the whole team is going to do, I mean, there's probably going to be junk food like every single week and you can fend that off. And then at the end of the season, there's going to be like some big party and then everyone's going to go eat their junk food. Yeah. And it's like, well, our family doesn't eat that. So like, what is, can I make my own pizza? And like, can we have that? And, and how is that going to go? And I have children, I have, I have my oldest son actually bless his heart is like very much like loves being on the outside of things. Like he loved opening when the kids were in school, like opening his can of sardines in the middle of the classroom and people being like, Oh, what is that? And he would like walk, he said he would take the long way to get to the garbage can <laughs> to throw out the lid, yeah. you know, just like walk by everybody to make sure that every kid in the class, my daughter is like mortified by this, just like hates this, right? Like, here I took my grandmother and like she's got my mom and her 100%. She's like, oh, mom, like no one eats liver. Like I can't, I can't tell anybody. Like I can't, you know, I just like so, just, you really like feel that sense of wanting to belong and be part yeah. of culture. And like, you know, since I mean, the this, time this she is, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, carry on, carry on. No, 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 that's it. So um, it's just like, you know, different kids are going to experience yeah. this kind of relationship with food very differently in the context of their peers. Yeah. And for my daughter, it was really important that she had her own cupcake, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if I could make it from home with the ingredients that I felt like were good for our family and without seed oils and all that stuff, then she could have that. Like at least it still wasn't the same, but at least that was something, right? Like my son, I'm like, we don't need that. I'm not making it for you. Like to help with everybody else. But like, he'd be like, okay, fine. Like I'll just bring my jar of olives. Like I'm good with that. You know, whatever weird food. But my daughter's like not going to go for that. It's just like, she has that sense of like, she's very socially aware and 
I don't know. So I just think that like, if you raise a family in modern culture in this day and age, and then you have to put food on the table every single night for 20 years, and what are you going to do? Like you're going to feed them real food. And it's it's such a, it's such a motivation to experiment. And like you said, do something scary and uh, what a reason to experiment with something new. But um, how did you get your children to eat organ meats? Like, did you have to disguise it? Did you have to pretend it was something else? Like, you know, I have to say, Sam, that the real question is like, how did I get myself to eat organ meats? Because we started Once you on do it, path, they do it, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like people are always like, how do I get my kid to eat the thing? I'm like, well, maybe. I mean, do you eat it? Like, have you found a liver recipe that you love? Because if you don't have one, like your kids are never going to eat that food. <laughs> like, but, and I admittedly, in the beginning, I was the one that had the cultural baggage. I was the one that had grown up with my mom saying like, this stuff is horrible. Like I can't even swallow it, the taste, the texture, like everything so bad. My whole life, I was like, how can I eat this food? You know, you it's so cultural. Fantastic Mr. Fox right? Like one of the farmers is like farmer Bunsen bean and whatever. And one of them is like this horrid farmer, this horrid man. And he lives on this diet of donuts and duck liver pate, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, like this duck livers and so, or goose livers. And so it's just kind of like brought in the, these people that like smell bad and are horrible people. Like it's, you know, they, they're associated with liver in the, in the mainstream paradigm. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny to me. So, but I was always like, no, I'm like my older son, right? Like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. Like, I don't care what anyone else thinks. But I have to say that back then, uh, 10 years ago. So my kids were too young to know the difference. Mm. They were still in right. my fold, right? So, they were so coming out of the house. They, they kind just of grew up with it. Yeah. Right. They didn't know. And I have to say that young children especially have a very keen sense of what their body needs. Mm. So we've drifted from uh, how much vitamin A should you eat. But this is what I was going to say is that if you eat real food, uh, I don't think it's possible to have vitamin A toxicity. I mean, your body will tell you. So liver eating liver is like eating salt. Like if you have a little bit in your hand, you're eating it, you're eating it. At some point you're like, oh my gosh, this is not sweet anymore. It is done. Right. At some point you like push the liver away and you say, I've had enough. I mean, it's the same with anything. Like if you have, let's say a steak, even though it's so delicious and so lovely, um, you know, at some point you're going to eat it and you're going to be like, I think I'm done. Like nobody kind of thinks about overeating something like that or like chicken or um, usually you overeat on the things that um, are processed and that are designed to make us want more like that's the way it is so if you stick to whole foods then like you said you wouldn't really have to worry about having too much or too little of something like your your body will find a way you'll you'll get in touch with what you really want to eat and what your body needs and that that sensitivity you'll have um will get sharper you know what do i need to what do i really need right now what do i need to eat just the like i I can't have any yeah i mean i think that there's a fine line there's the beginning where i couldn't eat liver Mm. I had to choke it down. I was gulp it down with sparkling mm-hmm. water, chew and chew and chew, and I like, couldn't even swallow it. I was just like gulp it down. But at some point I realized like this is a food. I actually started to crave it. I, mm. I could feel oh, how much lovely. better, you know, like yes. I could really feel like kind of vitality returning. I mean, it had been so depleted. I mean, I was at a point in my life where I was like, will I ever have fun again? Like, is this really good? Is this drudgery, right? Of having two young kids and being completely depleted. Like, I don't know how, like, is this, this is what this is about? Like, how is this going to play out? I just didn't see a path. And and I could really have the sense that when the nights that we had liver dinner and I would do all the things, I would skip snack for the kids. I would pick them up. I wouldn't give them snack on the way home. We would move dinner forward, you know, mm. 45 minutes or so. So they weren't so hungry that we were having meltdowns. And then I would feed this in the unfamiliar food. And then I would, you know, very deliberately, I would just put the carrots in the oven to roast uh, right as I was serving dinner. So it's right. like, oh, of course we have more food. It's just not ready yet. So you so just, just, just have plate of food and, then, and, yeah. Yeah, and you just eat that in the meantime. And I would actually always come to the table last because I did not want them to sense my discomfort. Right. My husband, bless his heart. I think because also he grew up um, 
eating like more traditional foods and maybe he even ate some of these foods before he came to the United States um, that, I don't know, he's always had a palate for it and has always eaten everything I've served and he's been fine with it. So that has blessed his heart. I mean, yeah, I, I completely understand um, like you actually, because um, I'm, I, there was one point where I was eating liver each week and then um, I had a hit a wall at some point. I was kind of sitting there eating it and then one bite tasted like pond water like just one bite and then I was like I think I'm done I think I'm done with liver and I haven't had um a chunks of liver since but what I have been doing is I've been kind of cutting it up and putting it into mince meat um mm-hmm. and it's the flavor is completely like it's, it's completely muted when I do that so I find if I mix it with other foods and it's Absolutely. easier um I also supplement um I know that food is always the best option but for the days where I'm just oh, there's like, always a time and place yeah, for supplements. totally like, and it's I mean we want to see them entirely, it's good but... quality like it's a really great brand that I love so um I I absolutely love it Paleo Valley um I take yeah, their supplements Autumn Smith is amazing oh I love that woman is yeah. like oh yeah <laughs> I know so much respect so, so much respect yeah I know so, I just think that um yeah there's definitely a time and place for that and also even to get on your feet right if you really are in a place where you're so depleted that you can't even start this process of like cooking meals for your family let alone organ meat meals for your family I mean that would be a pretty good place to start yeah right I think that so like so I guess this kind of um a a final question I have then is um what is your what are your big tips for someone who wants to get started eating these um foods um what are your tips to get started yeah I feel like this is like where the conversation (laughs) just begins yeah so um I mean how do we go from here but I mean if you're somebody who has like not incorporated these foods at all and you're not going to put it on the plate for front and center as like a value set then I would definitely say start like you're saying with mincemeat right you can find blend or you can make your own you're going to make your own liver blend lots of other organs are actually very easy to blend and you can just blend them and mix them in in any ratio and the heart is so it's effectively a muscle meat. It has no off flavor. You can just blend heart and serve that. I alone. had chicken heart the other day and I was very surprised. It was very edible. I was like, oh, oh it's that's so not, delicious. That's not bad. Yeah. Lovely. Right. So chicken heart, we had actually lived in Brazil. Um, we'd been in Brazil a couple of times and my husband lived there for a year and then we went together for a year. And, you know, that's actually one of the foods that, that we had had exposure to beforehand because it's so common in yeah. the uh, Brazilian like Chahasco culture, like having grilled chicken hearts. And they're so good. So we had actually like, that was like, kind of like not even a thing that was like on the awful list. It was like, oh, well, that's a thing our Brazilian friends do. And we had so many times when we were down there and, uh, you know, that's just food. Right. But then, oh, it's on the organ meat list. And people are like, wait, what? You wouldn't eat chicken hearts? Like, this is an amazing food. It's so it's like, I don't know. It, it like the heart has no off flavor, right? You can even take a beef heart, you can blend it, you put it and cut it into cubes and blend it up and you can have any ground meat dish. And no one would even know it's an organ meat, except that it has far more nutrients than muscle meat. Right. So why wouldn't you do that? Like right. as often as you could. So so heart as is many a good place to find. start. Like if, if someone's to experiment with organ meats, you'd be like, Absolutely. go for heart first. Yeah. And also like, you don't have to go crazy, right? So even if you just have a little bit of liver and, uh, you know, I would definitely want it to be frozen before I blend it, cut it in small pieces, refreeze it for an hour or something. You can blend it and mix it into any ground meat mix. And then anything that's like heavily seasoned, right? So a bolognese or I like to do stuffed poblanos or if you do chilies or things like that, right? Like anything that's flavored, mm. that's a great place to start. I think that for... If you already are having some organ meats or you want to kind of take it to the next level, I think that with preparing liver as like kind of front and center, a great place to start is just like with like chicken liver tacos, for example, you know, chicken livers are going to be more mild. It's a smaller animal, but, uh, you know, you can just cook those in a pan with, you know, whatever taco seasonings you would normally eat, right? If you use cumin, oregano, peppers, like things like that, then 
that has some really nice seasonings and you can do all the things on tacos right? you can do like some sour cream and avocado and like radishes and cilantro all the all those seasonings that make that basically make up for a beautiful meal right like when you have like just liver or something it can be really overwhelming but that's like part of a beautiful package yeah that it's like wait wait you could try this like this is so beautiful and like so appealing and it's a part of something that's so much bigger um and then also i would just say if you're just going to do lamb liver or beef liver any liver sauteed to make sure that you really have an acid so your listeners probably already know this they're uh you know health conscious but you know, salt of course is not bad for us and salt i would say is actually not only is it essential but it's essential for um for protein digestion and so really to salt it that's why a well salted steak is just divine right because we can also i have a sense from um having many kids in my home over the years that people would always say oh my gosh like my kid doesn't eat any meat but they loved your hamburgers they loved your meatballs and they loved your whatever and i'm always thinking to myself like you don't salt your meat like that's the difference between them eating my meat and your meat right yeah. been so many birthday parties because we did so many birthday parties on the beach um where i would bring meatballs and, and do sliders and stuff like that we would have a little grill and stuff and i had so many moms have told me over the years like my kids don't eat any meat but they love this thing and and like, okay, that's because I have the season everything. And you're probably following the mainstream paradigm telling you that salt is bad for you, right? But it's actually, but it's so, so salting, of course, with liver. Um, liver is a very wet cut. So with a steak, I would, or with chicken, this morning I salted a chicken before I left the house that I'm going to cook for dinner tonight, right? To like let that get into the juices and um, it will retain moisture and it will make that chicken juicier when I cook it tonight. Liver is such a wet cut that if you salt it before it goes in the pan, it can release a lot of water. And what ends up happening is you kind of end up boiling your liver instead of searing it. And so you don't get like that nice brown caramelization. Now you have this like really bland, like grayish, dull meat that like kind of does not look appealing and you're kind of nervous about it, right? So you don't want to, so I don't salt liver in advance. I will sear the liver. When I flip it over, I'll season the side that's been seared. And when I take it off, I'll season the other side. But seasoning it and then of course adding some sort of acid. So this could be a tomato-based sauce, a lemon-based sauce, balsamic vinegar, um, something like really bright and acidic as a very simple sauce. Like the most common sauce in my house is like taking the liver out of the pan, beef liver, um, throwing in a knob of butter and squeezing a lemon into that butter and like letting it cook down and get to know each other and pouring that over the top with a little parsley garnish or something. This, like that lemon juice brightens things so much. It makes all the difference. So um, I think that that's, we, one time I was uh, at an event uh, with Hillary Boynton, her school of lunch, like every week she did, or every year she'll do like a week of like uh, kind of ancestral Western Prairie style cooking, everything from ferments to grains and organ meats. And one year we had somebody in the kitchen who was cooking the liver and it wasn't me. And first he overcooked it. And then I was like, whoa, 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 like, let me, let me step in here with all due respect. And so um, we, um, you know, we sliced off this overcooked liver. And when it's overcooked, it can be like kind of dry and crumbly and have a more intense flavor. Yeah. And then like, if it's, if it's just like a kind of rosy in the middle, it's going to have a much milder flavor. So keeping it mild, people are afraid. So they leave it on a little longer, right? But you end up kind of with worse liver in that case. Mm. So that's one thing. So then we sample those differences. And then we sampled it with and without salt, right? And then we sampled it with the lemon juice over the top. And then like when people had that, they were like, this is so good. Wow. So I just like, if you can do that That's in your own secret. kitchen, where you yeah. experiment with these things, like uh, like that balsamic vinegar, like something like that, just brightens it so much. And it really it. just like, and also, I, you know, I just feel like this whole thing, like I said, like I kind of come from a background of cooking. And I know a lot of people, even just a few years younger than me, have kind of missed out on this. I have a really dear friend and she was telling me like, oh, one of the things I've learned from you is actually all the techniques of how to cook because they, you know, like every year, just like less and less cooking, right? So if your mom didn't cook, you haven't seen it, you don't really know all these things. I also studied cooking for many years, not formally, but just literally reading cookbooks cover to cover Mm. and like kind of studying them in that way. But 
Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of removed from these things, but I just yeah. think that like Sally Fallon, right? Like sauces, like sauces are the thing that they don't take that long, but they make a meal and they really make it feel like it's special and it has some mm-hmm. TLC in there, yeah. all that. So I, I, love I would it. say like next level is like taking your mincemeat, like doing a beautiful, like sort of like terrine and like pate and croute, right? Like covering the whole thing in a brioche yeah. bread and um, baking it. And, you know, like there's, there's like, oh, you can take it to hold it. That is like a celebratory organ meat dish, right? Like you bring that kind of terrine to a party. It's like, this is a, this is like bust out the champagne. Cause like now we're like ready to party. Like this is amazing, right? So you can like definitely That's take funny. your organ to like that. different levels, yeah. right? So we can just start with a blend and like next that. is like kind of just that. having liver front and center and just appreciating the value of it and not going crazy with it right if you're yeah. thinking that the french are having a six ounce five six ounce steak of liver this is not something they're having every night of the week exactly like, this is not what we're talking about and we're talking about something that's like a beautiful meal that we can yeah. like really like appreciate and lean into and that we can enjoy and then you know and then having a variety of beautiful meals in the course of our week from diversity is so important in ecosystems and also for our body and we can diversify across macronutrients, right? Like there's two different energy macronutrients, carbohydrates and fats. So we can diversify in those categories. And then even in the protein category, we can diversify across the different animals that we consume, right? There's just, there are so many animals from the land and the sea, and then we can diversify across the cuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just think there's so much value in like thinking about how we can diversify at every level, right? Just to yeah. add so many things and it's funny because if you spend too much time in health space like oh like these oxalates are going to kill you and these lectins are going to kill you and these this and that and it's like whoa 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 like my grandma was like 101 and like she ate all the food like she ate bread oh god forbid you know like, yeah. how yeah. could that be like she and she baked you know she had celebratory like cakes and desserts yeah or holidays and it's a, just I, I don't know so i just like think that um if we compartmentalize too much it, it can kind of silo us off and like make us a little bit timid and fearful in different categories. But if we think about diversity and how we can yeah. diversify and st- if we say like seasonal and local and all that, we can like really find the most diversity. I agree. So, and I think that's, that's the through line through, um, you know, everyone I've spoken to on this podcast, I think that's the through line, like whole foods, seasonal mm-hmm. um, and diversify, like you said. And uh, th- that seems to be the key, like just stay away from that kind of westernized processed rubbish that we're sold in the supermarket. Right, because that, but- that is actually like the complete opposite, right? Mm-hmm. That is like many, many, I think Michael Pollan says there's like 17,000 new foods introduced every year into mm-hmm. the grocery store, mm-hmm. but they're all the same thing. They're yeah. just corn and soy derivatives exactly. mixed together with, uh, you know, some with some colorings, flavorings and seasonings, mm-hmm. um, un- unknown, all of them, right? Yeah. But it's the same product, like 90... 90- 90 something percent of the product is just corn and soy oh, so that's, or, that's like, and, and wheat so yeah. it's like it's actually there's actually the it's the complete opposite of diversification is yeah. the whole middle of the grocery store that is so 17 000 new food yeah. products every year that are all wow. exactly the same thing yeah you know they have different colored packages and they look like they could be different but they're yeah all the same so um yeah. the real diversity is actually just like what's in our local environment and what I yeah. love about everything you've just said is that you have tons of recipes. You have them on your website and yes. you have them on Insta- you're act- most active on Instagram, right? So how can people I have find most you? active on Instagram. Yeah. I've started posting on Facebook. I would love to have a YouTube channel going because I actually feel like you- Instagram is really for short form content. Like yeah, a minute I feel or like something. But I feel like I need yeah. like 10 <laughs> you, minutes. Like we you like, need time let's to talk explain about Like let's talk yes. about tripe. Like let's talk about like this particular nutrient. Um so I, I really want to move into that kind of like longer format space. But I think that uh yeah, on my site, I have over 100 recipes at this point, and um, there's a lot on there. So I have it broken down into categories like liver, or kidney, yes, tripe, and then you can like, see yeah. like how to purchase or how to prepare it and then like recipes. But there's a lot of things that are not categorized. So you won't see gizzards, for example, but if you search for gizzards, you'll find a half dozen recipes. Perfect. 
that you can use you know anybody who doesn't know how to cook or they don't know how to get started just go to your website go to instagram they literally get involved i know that you do workshops and you know exactly don't like to leave your audience hanging like you like to take them by the no, hand and I you like to show them everything and you're so generous with your information so um I, I think people would get so much from you if they just kind of give you a follow and they just kind of get involved with you I think that would be awesome thanks Tam yeah it's um it's really fun if you're interested in the world of organizations then definitely come find something that looks good to you yeah. and looks good to your family right it doesn't have to be foreign I think that starting also with just like the spices that your family's already familiar with we do a lot of Persian cooking because of my husband we do a lot of Portuguese type style like Mediterranean type style dishes so like using those same flavor profiles mm. uh, my family we have I have a lot of recipes on my organ meat sites that are like grains for example with sumac or gizzards with dill or you know like these are spices that we use all the time in Persian cooking and I have them in my home and they're part of our rotation and so they're things that my family's really familiar with already and so by just incorporating a different protein or a different slightly different texture or a different cut right then this is just like a diversity of on the question of like the age old question, what's for dinner, right? right. Like, okay, that. we're going to do this, you know, this different thing or this new thing or, and then getting them involved, you know, really engages, like helps get them engaged. So oh, I love that. Well, do you know but, what? This, this has been such a great conversation and I've, I've gotten so many tips from you. Like you're really, you're really a wealth of knowledge when it comes to organ meats. And I already have these ideas and I'm already thinking about that liver. Like when you're talking about the liver, the lemon juice, like I was already thinking, oh, I actually really would like to try that. So um, I, I, I will be trying that. I actually have some liver in the freezer, so I'm probably going to get it out and, you know, get corky cooking over the weekend. But um, I just want to say a huge, huge, thank you for being here for chatting to me and for sharing your knowledge with us it's just been so invaluable so thank you so much oh thanks for having me Tam it's such a pleasure I'm Tamara Walpole and you've been listening to Your Body's Way if you haven't already please subscribe share rate and review this podcast you can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.